We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, here we go. Let's do. Let's hit the mailbag, Brian. I know you've got a bunch of stuff. Yeah, start up, ready to roll. Super chats, got got all types of questions. Okay, Rob Osgood with the super chat. Thank you so much, Rob. Happy Saturday. Thank you for the show today. Nope. Got people D Troll Hunter talking about he's mowing the lawn today, so he's going to have us on there. So we're helping people get some yard work done. People cleaning their garages out today, listening to us. So we're trying to help the time go by. That's awesome. Okay. Gregory, thank you very much for the super chat, man. Thank you very, very much. With the influx of talent and elite off offensive recruiting, do you see anyone transitioning to different positions than what they were recruited for initially? Does anyone on the offensive depth chart excite y'all personally at another position? Not, not another position that they're not already playing. You know, like the only kid that I could that that I would say would do that for me would be if there were some issues at running back and you said, Hey, Micah Bell, we're going to, we're going to get you okay. over here. You need you to help out at running back in the slot. Cause I mean, anytime you put a guy that runs a low four, three on offense, you get excited about it. Right. And that's just cause I'm an offensive guy, but you know, who else is excited about him running a low four, three, Mike Mickens, Al Golden, you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like Marcus right. Freeman, those kind of guys, I, you know, you know, who could, you know, who, if, if talking about tight ends, if there was a need, I would have no problem if they were like, hey, can we move Cooper to defensive end? Cooper Flanagan to defensive end. He was a pretty good defensive end in high school. Okay. And so I could see him helping out there. Not that I would want that full time. I think he's a better tight end. But if you got into a pinch and you needed a field end and at some point in time in his career, I could see Cooper Flanagan doing that. Kevin Bauman was a pretty good defensive end too. I just with all his injuries. But Cooper Flanagan was a legitimate to me division one defensive end type it would just be more of the lower level division one where he's a notre dame level tight end gotcha it would be like he could maybe play it like boise state as a defensive end okay or san diego state as a defensive end and that's not an insult because those are those are yeah. two of the better programs in the group sure. five level so i'm that's so why i'm purposely using them not as like oh you can play boise but more so like i think you can play defensive end at a place like that which is a good school sure so that would um that would be uh, those would be guys. I mean, but 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 there's really nobody else that you see playing a different position 
except like okay, because some of those moves already happened. Josh Burnham's already moved down inside. You know who? You know who's one that I could see doing something. And and again, if Notre Dame ever had a need for another like H back fullback type, and Preston Zinter was buried on the depth chart at linebacker, I would fight to get him over. Okay, like that's because he he was a really good tight end in high school. Really good tight end, but you know his body type. He's six three, two twenty five. He's more of that Davis Sherwood type of body type than he is a Kevin Bauman, Holden Stace type. Sure. But if you're still someone who loves using that fullback, and you know, let's say Davis Sherwood's gone, and Justin Fisher's gone, and and, and Preston Zinter's not starting for you, you're playing a bunch on defense. I would definitely, definitely try to have that conversation with him. And that's one of the things I like about Preston Zinter is. If he gets to the point where he just isn't making an impact at linebacker because there's just too much depth or whatever reason, I'm recruiting the heck out of that kid to come over and play offense for me. Sure. I really would because he can help okay. me there. And there aren't a lot of guys that can do that. There aren't a lot of guys that can truly be guys that can make a difference for you on both sides of the ball. And we talk a lot about the skill guys, but Preston Zinter is a guy that I think could be that type of player uh, for Notre Dame on either side of the ball, which for him is great because you're in a position where there's a lot of talent around you in the class above you and in your class. And and so That's you know, true. there's a chance he could be a good football player and just be their fifth linebacker. So it means he's probably going to play a ton. Cool. Let, you're going to be a starter yeah. on special teams, but dude, let's get you over here because you can help us out. David Sherwood just graduated. Like, you can help us out over here, and we're going to get you the ball. You're going to get on the field. You're going to be a very important piece to what we're doing. You may only play 10, 12 snaps a game, but those are third and one goal line. Yeah. I mean, those are important snaps. And then sure. uh, on top of you being a starter on special teams, so I could certainly see something like that. Certainly see something like that. Good question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to some more here. Uh, we we already brought up Rob's question from earlier. We addressed that earlier in the show, so let's get to uh, get to that. All right, Irish Gordian Not if... Parker favors 22 and 21 personnel. How could that affect the wide receiver room in general? My worry is that it limits wide receiver total targets and impact and how that might cause some players to transfer for playing time. Uh, that, that'd that be very true if they do run a ton of 22 and 21 personnel. That's two backs, two tight ends, or two backs and one tight end. I don't see that. When we talk about 22 and 21 personnel, we're talking about those as wrinkles. Mm-hmm. Right, those are change-ups to your normal. I think eleven Not personnel base, is going to be yeah. Notre Dame's base offense yeah, this year. Agreed. Twelve is going to be second, and then you're going to mix in some thirteen, some twenty, some twenty-one, some twenty-two in certain situations. 
they're not going to be bread and butter. You're not going to come out sure. and run 21 or 22 personnel 30 times a game. You're not going to run 13 personnel 30 times a game like they did in 2020, it seemed like. You know, I mean, where they were just running 20 per, 13 personnel a ton back then yeah. that year, it seemed. Uh, probably not as much as we as we think they did. It just, you know, you, you think back that way. To, to that stuff, yeah. Uh, but if they did that, yeah, that would certainly impact receiver room. You'd see guys leave. You'd see it tougher to recruit guys. I just don't see that. I mean, there's there's nothing we've seen or heard that is going to make us think that 21 and 22 personnel is going to be anything other than a rotational situational type of situation for me that that's how I see it. But yeah, it would be a problem if they, if they did do that a ton. Sure. Be very limiting. I mean, that's yeah, it would be. You're, you're going to, that tells me you're going to be a smash mouth, run it all the time, grind out 20 to 17 wins. That's what it would tell me. Yeah. And that's not how I see this offense operating. Nope. In any way. <laughs> now, could they do that if they had to? Yeah, I think they could, but that's not, that's not a sustain. Well, it, it's not how I see this offense being sustainable. How about that? Like, do they have the talent to do that? Yeah, they could, but that's not going to win them a championship. That's not no. going to get them in the playoff. That's not, no. and that's not who. You, that's not why you brought in Sam Hartman either. So no. there's that too. Or Coleman recruited Penny Minchie, or recruited yeah, right. CJ Carr, or exactly. Right. That's not at all how that works. <laughs> Coleman Smith says, "I think Eli Raritan or Nate Roberts will be the next Michael Mayer type player at Notre Dame." Do you agree? Well, uh, let's let's define the terms here, Vince, and answer it both ways. If we're talking about Michael Mayer type in regard to being the dude and being big time impact players, sure, that's possible. If we're talking about using them the same way you use Michael Mayer, neither are like Michael Mayer. They're both more vertically oriented. And I would say Nate Roberts is probably closer to Michael Mayer in style, but Nate Roberts is basically as a sophomore, what Michael Mayer was as a sophomore, but with speed, more speed. That's how good Nate Roberts is to me. And he's okay. just played his first year tight end. Now he's got to continue growing and evolving. He'd be closest to it. Nate Eli Raritan is a completely different type of player than Michael Mayer. Now, if you're talking about the next Michael Mayer type in that they're the guy, I think Mitchell Evans has a chance to be that before one Me of those too. two. I think Holden Stace could also be that guy if Eli Raritan doesn't get healthy. But Notre Dame will have someone else emerge as the dude before Nate Roberts is even on campus. Mm-hmm. Nate Roberts still has two years of high school football left. Yeah, because he's 25, isn't he? He's a 25 kid. Yeah. So he's going to be just a junior this season. That's so I would be shocked if – so, and, and I doubt he's Michael Mayer as a freshman. Right, so you're talking about three years of nobody emerging as an impact tight end. I don't necessarily see that, so I would take Nate Roberts out of the equation. Um, so if it's an or, now you could say you know the the line of succession is going to be Eli Raritan becomes the dude, and then Nate Roberts replaces him as the dude. And I'd say, yeah, okay, I, I, I agree with that line of succession, right? But to me, I think you're going to see other guys step up before that, Vince. I think Mitchell Evans has a chance to be an impact player, but here's the thing. I don't think any of those guys are going to replicate the production that Michael Mayer had the last two years. Sure. Simply because Michael Mayer wasn't playing with receiving cores like those guys are going to be playing with. Right. Michael Mayer's right. never going to play with a receiving core, you know, a, a class that in a two-year stretch lands can't like lands um Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores, Caleb Smith, Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert, and uh, uh Logan Soldate, plus 
the backs like a Jadarian Price and a Logan and a Jeremiah Love, who are these right. explosive big time backs who can rip off sixty yard runs in a way that last year's couple years backs couldn't. Kyron Williams wasn't a home run back. I mean, he had a couple. He wasn't a home. That, so it was a grinded out offense, which meant way more opportunities for the tight sure. end to get the football. So yep. the nature of it's just going to look way different. What I think we're also going to see, Vince, in my opinion, is we're going to see tight ends at Notre Dame maybe not have the the volume that Michael Mayer had. I don't see that happening. Number one, Michael Mayer was an elite player. Number two, the offense is going to be different. But I think what you're going to see is they're going to have a lot more yard per catch numbers than Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer in his three years in Notre Dame was 10.7, 11.8, and 12.1 yards per catch. If you want to talk about a bold prediction, Vince, one for me is Notre Dame's leading pass catcher at tight end the next three years is going to average more yards per catch than Michael Mayer ever did hmm. because of the nature of the offense. Sure. So to sure. your point, you had you had Mitchell Evans down for, what was it, 35 catches and about 500 yards? Yep. Well, if that's his numbers, that's 14.3 yards per catch. That's two yards greater than, yeah. than Michael Mayer's best season when he was the first-team All-American. Right, so I think that will that will be different. So it is just going to look a lot different, Coleman. Yeah, and and you may see the same production at tight. Like I could see a season where Notre Dame's tight ends have seventy one catches for eight hundred and forty yards, but it'll be split between two or three guys as right, opposed exactly. to one. Guy I don't see one guy getting over eight hundred yards. Yeah. I just but it's too I, many weapons on the offense for that to be the case. Right, right, including at tight end. Yeah, so no, true, true. But Eli could be that guy. Holden Stace could be that guy. Mitchell Evans could be that guy. And that's why I'm so confident in this room. As long as they're healthy, I'm really not worried about the tight end position if they're healthy. Right. right. The only thing I'm concerned about at tight end is health. Because sure. two of the three guys that we just mentioned have missed at least half of a season during their careers in Notre Dame. Mitchell missed the first half of last year. Eli missed the second half of last year. So we've never really seen Eli and Holden playing together. That's true. So that's kind of where I look at it. And so I, I think one of those guys is going to emerge this season and next season and the year after that before we even see Nate Roberts put on a Notre Dame uniform. And then will he have a chance to be that guy at some point in time in his career? Heck yes. Heck yes. Because Nate Roberts as a sophomore is better than any Notre Dame tight end that they've had, including Michael Mayer. I mean, he was better as a sophomore than Michael Mayer was. Now, Michael Mayer became a freak by the time he was a senior because he looked like a grown man. Right. And Nate's similar to that. Nate looks a lot older than he is. So he's going to peak a little bit sooner and then just maintain greatness like sure. Michael Mayer did. Right. And uh, that's that's what I could see from him. But we're we're three years away from seeing that kid in the Notre Dame uniform. So and there's a lot of talent at the room now that has going to have a chance to be the quote unquote next Michael Mayer. And I hope that we don't do that as well is compare every guy to Michael Mayer because they're different players. And sure. They're going to be playing in different offenses and all that kind of stuff. Um, so let them be their own guy. And these two kids are different players than Michael Mayer was, especially Eli Raritan. Eli Raritan, when I think about him, if you're going to compare him to a Notre Dame tight end, it's more like Cole Komet, uh, Troy Nicholas. Remember Troy Nicholas in his one year as a starter was like a vertical guy? You know, like he didn't catch a ton of balls. But when he did, it was like for big plays. He averaged like 15.6 yards per catch. Yeah. I think that's more Eli than it is, than he is, than Michael, where he's just working short stuff all game. You know, I think it's going to be more of that 15-plus because he may only have 35 grabs, but they're for like 600 yards or something like that because he's making big plays. I think it's going to be more, a lot closer to that than it will be to what we've seen in some of these these other situations at tight end. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Vince. Nope, I'm with you 100%. I, I just, it's, 
I don't see because he he kind of clarified Coleman did. He's like production wise. He kind of said that, and I just cool from from these guys. I just don't see eight hundred yards individually. Right. I just don't see that. But that doesn't mean they're not going to be the guy right. and be the go to tight end. That you know, it's just it's a completely different like, set of. Situations. I don't know that Michael Mayer would have those yards in twenty twenty four. Exactly. When you look at what we anticipate, the receiving core and the and the situation being on offense in twenty twenty four, maybe maybe this year because guys are still emerging. You know, and and you know, like we said earlier, he could have 800 yards, but he does it on 10 fewer catches. I think we would have seen because part of the reason Michael Mayer had such a low yards per catch average was the nature of the offense. It wasn't that he's slow and can't do more things. I mean, I think he can make more plays, and we and and but it's just the way that they used him. They'd run sure. him on little slide routes. He get tackled for a two yard loss because right. the defense read it, and that's going to take his average down. Just the way that they used him. But uh, you know, so from a yard standpoint, maybe. I mean, you could see a scenario where in 2020, see, 22, 23, 24, 25, if Eli Redden comes back for a fifth year in 2026, that him and Nate Roberts combine to be 800-plus yards, I could certainly see that. That would be sure. Nate's second year at Notre Dame and, and, and Eli's fifth year at Notre Dame. Yeah, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Yeah, I mean, I hope that Eli is not around then, though. Because if right. he's around, then that means he hasn't necessarily had that big breakout. You know, I'd like to see him be healthy this year and, you know, do great. And then him and Holden both go after senior years because they're both so dang good, right? I mean, sure. those are always good places to be in, in my opinion. So good, good question, Coleman. Good question. Nathan Milton, how much does a coach already know about his team and position group going into fall camp? You know who's put in the work. Sure. You know who your leaders are. You know where you are generally from a health and conditioning standpoint. You know, um, you, you kind of have an idea of the baseline of guys who have already played for you and what they are. So you like, you anticipate, well, like you don't anticipate guys regressing in, 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 a, in a season, Vince, unless you've already seen the trouble signs for it. Sure. So let's just use a guy as an example, because we know, it's not the case. But let's just say Joe Walt's an All-American last year, and he's a sophomore, and he's kind of resting on his laurels. He's seeing he's a top-10 NFL draft. He's like, you know what? I'm all set. So he kind of coasts this offseason, you know, doing a lot of media appearances, eating food, getting chunky, thinking he's the man. You see that as a coach, and you're like, I'm a little worried about Joe going into the fall because he's not the same. He doesn't have the same work ethic that he had last season. Right. You would see that and you'd kind of have that anticipation. You'd know you need to work through that. But what Notre Dame has seen from Joe Walt, we had this in the Intel pieces, he's taken it to another level. Right. More of a leader, more focused, more hungry, doesn't give a rip about being an All American last year, doesn't give a rip about what people are projecting in the NFL draft. He gives a rip about being, it's now, I'm, here's what, here's what I think Joe Walt cares about from what I'm, from talking to sources. He cares more about, the legacy that's on his shoulders of I'm now the guy that has to carry the Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, Liam Eikenberg, Aaron Banks tradition as the dudes that lead a dominant offensive line. That's the standard that I have to live up to. I don't care about all Americans and all this because there's a level, a level of expectation that that is the standard that was set before me that I have to live up to. And I'm going to put in the work to be that guy. And it's not about all American numbers. It's about leading an elite line and leading your team to big success on the field. Right. 
that's what Joe's been working towards. If he wasn't, you'd see that and you'd yep. kind of know, and there'd be some, some things you'd have to work through. You'd maybe push him a little bit more, you know, be harder sure. on him just to get him, you know, to, you got to humiliate him, excuse me, humble him a little bit, not humiliate, humble him a little bit. So you see those red flags during the, the off season. So that's, so you're not preparing for regression, not from a level of play. Now, some guys may regress from a number standpoint because the way that you're going to use other players or whatever the case may be, but that's not regression per se. That's So you, you have those baselines, Vince. What you don't know is, okay, uh, Jeremiah Love looked great this summer. He's a great athlete, but I don't still don't know what he's going to be as a football player for me this year because he's yet to put pads on. Uh, T- Tobias Merriweather's had a great offseason, right? But what I don't know yet – is he going to be a guy that steps on the field against Ohio State and says, get me the rock, and then goes and makes those plays? We don't know that yet. There's still a lot of those things that have to be proven from those guys. Like Billy Shrouth has all the talent in the world, but what's it going to be when the lights get bright? Sure. Those are the unknowns that you have as a football team. But you know where you are health-wise. You know where you are athleticism-wise. You know the work that's been put in. You know the yep. lead. Because if you're le- – if you and I have said this in the past, Vince. If your leadership hasn't emerged by the time fall camp kicks off – you're screwed. Yes. Because leadership doesn't come about during fall camp. Right. It, exactly. It gets cemented yeah. during fall camp. Yeah. Leadership emerges starting in January. Yep. And if you don't have some leaders by spring ball, you get a little nervous. If you don't have leaders establish it within the team offense and then within position groups by the time fall camp starts off, you're trouble. But you know that as a coach. And you got to work at that. So those are all the things that you can know, Vince, coming into fall camp. Is there anything that I that I missed? No, I mean, it's, it's, look, they've met with Coach Bayless. Like each position coach has met with Coach Bayless. Like, you know, they know what they've been doing. They've and been they can involved. be workouts now. That's the other part is, oh, coaches can they are now? To get workouts now. I didn't they can't do football, that. Sp- they can't do like football specific stuff. Nothing with stuff. the ball. Like, but that's when, kind of when a they're thing. in the weight room, when they're in the, they can, oh, okay. the, there's periods of the summer where the coaches can be out there. Gotcha. In the okay. non football workouts. So, like, gotcha. with the strength staff. Okay. But they're helping Coach Bayless do what he's trying to get them to do. So there, there you are go. times so they, they can do that. So they've seen these guys. They know. Like, when I was coaching and we would have, you know, spring workouts, then we would have summer workouts, and we would do all these different things. And, you know, we've been talking to the guys. And, you know, by the time you get to fall camp anymore, like back, back when I was playing back in the Stone Age, like – there were a lot of times where the first time you get to see a lot of your guys is two days. I mean, cause that's just the way it, it wasn't right. year round. Like it is now, you know what right. I mean? Now, once you get to two days, that's how it was for us at the nursery yeah. level. Like I haven't seen these kids in three months, right? I have no clue who was eating Cheetos all summer or who was right. working their butts off. Right. I mean, so that first week of camp was like, well, let me see, you know, who's that. That's why you would do conditioning drills day one of camp. Yes. Cause you're like, okay, Conditioning tests. Yeah, I mean, that's why what you is my do. starting receiver from last year barfing, you know, after our two hundreds yep. because he yep. wasn't working this summer. He spent all summer at the beach, exactly. Out his girlfriend eating and you know and, and not putting into work. Okay, I know that. I now I now know that. So yep. now I know what who's whose butts my foot has yep. to go into. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, or, and that's you know, why that, you have those conditioning tests right, right. off the bat. Be, you don't do that right now, yeah. Notre Dame. They already know. Exactly. They already know who's in shape and who has to put in the yes. work because they they've been on campus yes the whole summer because at D three they're all home we you know we don't have summer school like that there right it's completely so, completely different so that is the the only thing that these guys don't know that the coaches don't know is how is that going to translate to the field once you put pads right. on 
because that's still going to be done it yet. Th- that's still going to be a question because Correct. you can you can extrapolate from summer workouts all you want as to what right. it's going to look like, but you need to see it. I mean, you need right. to see these guys with pads on. Right. You need to see them thumping up against each other. You need to see the you know you see defenders take guys to the ground. You need to see you know the technique. You need to see it. Right. Yeah. You can the guys can put in the work and that's great. Uh, but you need to see it. So that's the unknown that they don't have. But you know who your leaders are within your group. Right. You know who the leaders are on your side of the ball. You know who the leaders are with the whole team. Like right. those are the things that you know going in. Uh, yeah. Which wasn't always the case in the past. It's a good question. It's yeah. a very good question. It's a great here's question. A, here's another. Yeah, I, I love those. Here's a pardon me, another interesting question, Vince. Because and I want to get you answer first. Because mm. I want to hear what your I'm gonna so I'm gonna read it. I want to get your thoughts first. Man, okay. Andrew Gilmore asked, Michael Mayer was awesome, but was Tyler Eifert better? This is tough because I, I was a huge Tyler Eifert fan uh, when he was at Notre Dame. There's no doubt about it. And, and Tyler, they, they were very different players, uh, first of all. And I would say Tyler Eifert was a more athletic type of a tight end than Michael Mayer was. They, they approached their jobs differently with the way they executed right I would still give the nod to Michael Mayer because of all the production that he had and the fact that he was the focus of the offense and everybody knew he was the focus of the offense and still had the production that he had so I'm going to give the nod to Michael Mayer but they went about their jobs differently and I still you're not going to be bad if you had either one on your team I love my I love Tyler Eifert but Michael Mayer was better I'm I'm glad I let you answer it first (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, because there's there's two arguments to make, and they they're both saying the same thing. One is you could say, well, the year that Tyler Eifert had 63 catches for 803 yards in 2011, he did so because he had Michael Floyd taking the pressure off because Michael Floyd had 100 catches for 1100 yards. My counter would be, but Michael Floyd took a lot of production away from Tyler Eifert because he had 100 catches for sure. 1100 yards. Sure. Right? There's always that counter argument to it as well. And then you say, well, look, 2012, Mike, you know, Tyler Eifert didn't have the same level of production or the support around him, and he had 50 catches for 685 yards. It's a different type of offense. Right. My whole thing is, is it depends on what you want out of your tight end. Sure. If what you want out of your tight end is a guy that's going to be a move the chain, short to intermediate, you know, just a horse of a weapon, then you're, you're going to want Michael Mayer. For how I like tight ends, especially in today's age, I think Tyler Eifert was the more impactful player. You know, Michael Mayer would have eight catches for 100 yards. Tyler could do that on five. You know, I like more of a vertically oriented tight end. I like a tight end that I can line up in the boundary and say, you're going to run routes like a wide receiver. Tyler Eifert was as much of a boundary receiver as a a senior as he was a tight end. No doubt. And that's what I like. And I think Michael Mayer is the more dominant player individually, like just a man. But to me, Tyler Eifert was the more dominant pass catcher because sure. he could do so much. I mean, as good as Michael Mayer was, I don't know that Michael Mayer can make can get open and make the catch that Tyler had for the touchdown against Stanford. Remember that great back shoulder catch that he had yeah. against Stanford in, in 2012? That's to win it, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was tied it. They were okay. down, tied it. The the, the, okay. the one to win it, I think, was that was Tommy Reese throwing to T.J. To Jones. Okay. Everett had got knocked out. I believe that was the touchdown. I think so. I'm going to have to look that up, Vince. Hate when you ask questions, and I think well, I know the answer, but I don't because then I have to look <laughs> it up. Um, but um, you're probably right. But the, the the point being, when 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 here's like to me, I just I prefer I prefer the st- the Tyler Eifert style. Okay, is is what I prefer. I I just think that 
It was, yeah. Tommy Reese hit TJ Jones in the further. So it was the Eifert one tied it. So look, you're you, you, if you're telling me, hey, you can have Michael Mayer or Tyler Eifert, I'd, I'd say, okay, I'll take either <laughs> one of those guys. Right, right, of course. But if I had a choice for me, I would take Tyler Eifert because of how I would run the offense. I can do more RPOs with him. Sure. I can do more pass game with him. The problem with Tyler Eifert, however, is with Tyler Eifert, if you wanted really powerful run blocking, you had to go 12 personnel and put Troy Nicholas in the game because Tyler wasn't a great blocker. Well, right. Mayer wasn't either until the second half of his junior year. Correct. Now, if Michael Mayer would have come back for his senior year, because remember, Tyler Eifert stayed four years in Notre Dame, then he would have been a much more, a more effective blocker at that stage in his career, in my opinion. So it just it's one of those things where you're you're it's a win-win. It's about personal preference. I just think Mike Tyler Eifert could hurt you in more ways. That's my thing. And I think if Michael Mayer would have been a or Tyler Eifert would have been able to play in an offense like with a Sam Hartman, he would have put up crazy numbers. It just, you know, and, and you, but you could also say the same thing about Michael Mayer because then the ball would be spread around so much that Michael would sure. get more opportunities in one-on-one. So they're both great. It, it, say, I think it yeah. really just comes down to personal preference. Yep. You know, what exactly? Because yeah, they're different players. Because they're yeah. different types Very of players. Very different players. Yeah, right. Michael Mayer's more Kyle Rudolph. Sure. Tyler Eifert's more of a, again, he's more Miles Boykin than he is Michael Mayer. You know what I mean? And as far as how you use him. So I, I thought, and I just, I, he was, he was, I thought, the more dominant player, in my opinion. Because, yeah. But they're both phenomenal. They're both phenomenal. I, I wish I, we could have seen him healthy in the NFL. Because when yeah. he was healthy, he's pretty good. He was. So they were both great players. I'm 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 just gonna get this one out of the way, Vince. Detroit Hunter says, Vince, what was the review of Barbie? <laughs> well, I didn't see it. You didn't uh, go, right? No, I did not go. The kids had a good time. That's all I care about. It 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 was ridiculous how much money was spent uh at, <laughs> at the movie theater for all of those people to go watch a movie and yeah. have snacks and everything yeah. else. But they all had a good time, and I had peace and quiet for a while. Yeah. And so there, you got no complaints out of me. And, you know, I, I would rather sacrifice my time at the theater for Irish Breakdown and for all of you. So Yeah, yeah you really well. took one for the team, Vince. Really did. <laughs> it's a story, and I'm sticking to it. Did they go see that yesterday, or did they sing yeah, that today? It was okay. yesterday. Yeah, Ange and I went to the movies to see Sound of Freedom a couple weeks ago, okay. which was, uh, I mean, everyone should see it. I mean, just you have to you have to see it, in my opinion. But it was nuts when you like we got drinks, we split a popcorn and we both got a box of candy. I'm like, seriously, Mm -hmm. it cost that much. Mm -hmm. You know, like back in the day, you could get four tickets and you and your four friends could all eat that much for. And it's just like it's nuts. That's why we go up to Wonderland, man, because the the (laughs) the AMC here in in, uh, the Mishawaka popcorn area is really good, though. Yeah, it, it is, is. Really popcorn, but but it's, it's just too it's expensive. It's like eating liquid gold, man. But if the missus wants to go there, and we're going there, you got that right. get popcorn. Yeah, uh, gladly do so. Yeah. Andrew Gilmore, do we have any tight ends that we can split out for a jump ball on the goal line? Yeah, a lot of them. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously Mitchell Evans can do that. A whole yep. Stace can do that. Once yep. Eli Raritan is healthy, he can do that. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. All three of those guys Most. have the ability to do that. In my yeah. opinion, I'd say Eli probably went healthy the most because he's longer and taller. Sure. And as long as that basketball background, return, that bingo, you know, yep. yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, he was a double double guy in high. I mean, he was a really good basketball player, high school basketball player, right? I mean, I promise you that if he wasn't a football player, there'd have been 
some lower oh, level yeah. Division One and, and definitely some Division Two teams that would have been recruiting Eli Raritan to play basketball. And right. He was a good basketball player in high school, no doubt. Now he couldn't play it like Notre Dame, but you, you put those skills to use in, a, in on the basketball court. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like that's why I could see Eli Raritan being, if he's healthy, more of a Tyler Eifert type, right? Where it's almost like a but a better blocker because I mean he was that was the thing that shocked me as a freshman with him is he was a really good and it shouldn't because his dad was an offensive tackle at Notre Dame I mean right you mean so you, you think about it you're like yeah okay it makes sense now but when you watch him in high school you're like this guy's an athlete yeah and he would try hard in the run game in high school but he was so skinny he wasn't just a sure. dominant blocker then he comes into Notre Dame he's put on ten pounds he's muscular and he's just really a good blocker and you're just like okay that's just not fair. <laughs> you know, and and now you're like, if he can get his athleticism back and stay healthy, he's got a chance to be a, a great, great all around tight end. Yeah, even more so than than maybe Michael Mayer, dare I say, because it took Michael Mayer two and a half years to become a quality blocker. Yes, it if did. We're being honest, no, it did. And Eli, that's the one thing he did well as a freshman. So I, I mean, I try not to talk about him too much, Vince, because I almost like don't want to jinx it. Sure, but if Eli Raritan is healthy. At any point in his career, and and his and, and healthy to me is not just physically healthy, but your game is back to what it was. He's got a chance to be a star. I just don't know that it's going to be this year because of other players around. But also, right. I want to baby him as much as I can this year, man. I just don't. I he's got a very bright future. It's okay if you redshirt him this year. Play him in four games. Take the red, as long as other guys are playing well. There's no sure. need to rush him back and then get him healthy for next year because he could be a special, special player for you if you can keep the injury bug away from him moving forward. But when you've torn the same ACL twice, right, right, uh, yeah. So, somebody just asked Holmes said, "Who wins a one-on-one uh, in basketball? Is Eli Renner or Joe Otting? Eli Rennan better not be playing any one-on-one basketball any ever for the next like, two years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it better be Eli Rer- Joe Otting because Eli Rennan can't do anything. Yeah. Like just do don't, you're not allowed to jump because Eli's on the bench direction. Cheering. Yes. Now <laughs> coming out of high school, probably Eli, he's just too fast for Joe. Yeah. But Joe Otting is a very good high school basketball player as well. But, but sure. Eli's Eli. But Eli player. was going coast to coast. Eli's and three inches taller. He can I jump mean, higher. He's faster. He's more athletic. Yeah. He, you know, if, yeah, if this mythical thing ever happened, I would take yeah. Raritan. Yeah. Unless Joe just boxed him up all day. But again, Eli's got three inches on him. Right. And are we know? calling fouls? Like, is there, you know, <laughs> is Joe just beating the crap out of him? That would have to be what Joe have to, would have to, uh, <laughs> have to kind of, that's part of the negotiation for how he's right. going to be played. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, good, good, really good question so far, Vince. David Lowe. So I don't know how much about I don't know much about the tight ends. Uh, who's the next guy to most likely get drafted on our roster? All, all of them. Whoever the next guy that's eligible. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Mitchell Evans simply because he's the closest to the NFL draft. Yeah. But Vince, I would argue that right now, as freshmen, Notre Dame has four. Uh, when you include the freshmen, Notre Dame has four players with NFL potential on their to varying degrees, right? He okay. said drafted, not drafted in like the first round. Sure, yeah, exactly. I think that uh, that Mitchell Evans, Holden yep. Stacey, that I read in, and Cooper Flanagan all have NFL draft talent. Sure. Now, will they all get there? I don't know. But I could see, I mean, I'll be shocked if the three older guys aren't drafted. Shocked. Yeah, it would have to be injury related or something like that. Like Eli Raritan never pans out because of the injuries or holding battles injuries or Mitchell can't stay healthy. But sure. if they're all healthy, they'll all be drafted. I mean, yep. there's I mean, guys, 
when when Georgia was really good, they had John Michael. What was what's what's the guy's name? John David Fitzpatrick or something like that, right? Let me let me find this guy from Georgia from two years ago. He was like their number three tight end. Let me find him. Yeah, John Fitzpatrick had five catches for fifty five yards in twenty twenty one. The year before, he had ten catches for ninety five yards. The year before, he had one for twenty two, and he got drafted, mm-hmm. right? Because of how good Georgia was. If that guy can get drafted, Notre Dame, all Notre Dame guys, and that's not yeah. a knock on him. He was a good football player, he was just buried on the depth chart behind Darnell Jefferson, Darnell Jefferson, Darnell Washington, and Brock Bowers. So they recognize the talent. I think you know the other thing is going to hurt. The other thing is going to help Notre Dame's depth at tight end is they're going to look and say, man, like. Brock Wright's a starting tight end in the NFL now. Now we'll see if he holds on to that job. Detroit drafted Sam Laporta. We'll see if he holds on to that job. But like, dude, even undrafted Notre Dame tight ends are going to the NFL and doing stuff. Exactly. That's going to help, right? Because the tradition that you have is like, yeah. There was a while they were like, you know, you know, how's the tight end going to be? And Alize Mack didn't do a whole lot. Tyler Eifert had the injuries, but lately all the tight ends are going to the NFL and doing something, right? I mean, right. Cole Komet's starting to emerge. There's a lot of people talking about him. Brock Wright did what he did. Obviously, Kyle Rudolph had that long career. You know, Tommy Tremble's been starter for the Panthers. Although I understand he didn't have a great year last year. But they also want to say not only were you getting drafted high, but what did you do when you got there? One thing that helps Notre Dame's tradition as far as why Notre Dame gets a little bit of benefit of the doubt when it comes to drafting their offensive line, at least when Harry was here, is because these guys would go to the NFL and do something. Right. Right. I mean, Sam Mustafer's started how many games in the NFL and he was undrafted. Mm-hmm. Tommy Kramer has started games for the Lions and he went undrafted. So even the undrafted guys at Notre Dame are starting the NFL on the offensive line. That helps mm-hmm. when you go in there. I mean, Josh Lugg went to the Bears rookie camp, got invited to Bears rookie camp. Was it like a day and a half and they signed him? Something <laughs> like that. Like he got signed quick. Did he really? Yeah, real Good quick. For him. So now he's still got to make the team. But as sure. far as like, you know, you went from a tryout player to, yep, you're getting, you know, you're getting signed. That's great. And so that that helps the tight end. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt, at, but they're also incredibly talented. That's the thing, Vince. It's like we're not we're not projecting. Gee, if Mitchell Evans reaches the full maximum of his potential, and and Eli does, that never happens. But if Eli Raritan just gets to seven out of ten of what he's capable of, he's still an NFL draft pick. Correct. Same with Holden. Same with Mitchell. Now, because the peak is like first round to day two. And then down here is like, okay, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. So, like, he didn't reach his full potential, but he's still a draftable player. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And it so doesn't say the who's thing. the next guy to be drafted right. in the first round or, you know, that, that right. wasn't the question. So, right. yeah. Well, and then also it's just about different. There are some guys where the, the best they can be is a six-round draft pick. If they've maxed out their talent and their – to me, these guys, if they max out their talent, are at worst day two draft picks. Correct. At worst based on their God-given ability. They also all have a lot to prove because there's like five combined sure. catches between sure. the entire depth chart. But the one thing I don't worry about with this team, with this unit, Vince, is talent. Right. And the it's margin health. for error to me, if you take injuries out, is wide. Yeah. Because there's so many talented guys. What you can't have is Mitchell goes down and Eli goes down. And now it's like Kevin Bauman, who's injury prone, and Holton Stace, and that's it. Now you're in kind of trouble with your depth, sure. right? At this point. Sure. But there's a lot of teams like, okay, I guess I have to play Cooper Flanagan now. There's a yeah, lot of teams right. will be loving right. to be in that situation. You know what I mean? So but, like, there, but there's a lot of thing. but there's Good a lot news. of positions. There's a lot of positions anywhere on any team where if your top two guys go down, you're scrambling a little bit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, you know, you don't want your top two guys to go down at any position, right? And the same thing at, at, at tight end. The, the issue at tight end is that a lot of the guys that are 
in the mix have injury history. And so it, it's more of a predominant conversation that we have to talk about, you know, and, and until they can make it through an entire season, then, you know, that's where we're at. Yeah. We are not Marshall. Would anyone be hurt if the tight end only has 30 catches for the season? I want to see wide receivers dominate catches this season. Well, I, I think you're creating a false, a false choice. Right. It doesn't right? have to be I, one or the other. Yeah, I, I would I would be a little concerned if the tight ends only caught 30 balls this year as a room. Because you're, you're not only – you're taking more than a double dip in production from last year. Because last year the tight ends caught 76 passes. You drop that way down to th- – they're now becoming an afterthought to the offense. It's just nothing but a nice little compliment like the Wake Forest right. guys were. That is, to me, the reason that – you know why I would be hurt by that? I don't think that receivers dominating equals tight ends can't be factors beyond 30 catches. Correct. I think, I, I think that's a false choice there. If you now, if you were to say, if you were to jump that up to like 40 to 45, 50, I could definitely live with that. I'd be much more comfortable. If you gave me 40 plus as my options, Vince, because what was my prediction? Like 50, Still catch at least, at least 50, 50 balls. It's 50. That's yeah. still way less than last year. And you got to think about it. So if they only caught 50 this year, that's 76 fewer than last year. But they're going to probably run more plays this year in the pass game. There's going to be more pass game opportunities this year. So you're going to see at least 25 balls. If they only throw the same amount of times they threw last year, Vince, there's still seven, 26 balls between that between what they would do this year at my prediction of 50 going to the receivers then you got to look at the fact that they're probably going to throw the ball more this year than they did last year and that's going to factor into it as well Notre Dame only attempted 338 passes last year they attempted 451 the year before I think we'll see something closer to the 451 than we will the 338 from last year so now all of a sudden even if the tight ends caught 50 you're talking about a minimum of 40 to 50 more balls being distributed to the receivers than was already there last year. So the receivers can still be dominant and the tight ends catch 50 passes. Sure. So I, I, I would, I would be disappointed because now of a sudden 30, that's less than three catches a game for the tight end position. That's barely two Vince. Like, so let's go 30 divided by 13, right? So we're just going to go regular season plus one postseason game. Talking about two point three catches per game. Yeah. If Notre Dame is is in the championship game and they play fourteen games, that's two point one per game. Yeah, that would bother me. That would that mm-hmm. would hurt me because that means the tight ends aren't the aren't being utilized in the pass game the way they need to be. To keep the offense balanced and to keep teams from keying on the receivers. Sure, it would make them less effective as an offense. So yep. yeah, that would that would bother me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that means they're not using all of their weapons too. Right, because. Right. If you want if you want it to be wide wide receiver dominant, okay, I can get on board with them being wide receiver dominant. Sure. But you still have to use the tight end in order to make sure that you're wide receiver dominant. Because right. if the wide receiver, I mean if the tight end and the second tight end are actual legitimate options, that's going to allow you to throw to the wide receivers more often too. So it's right. it's you have to it, it's all of the above, right? right? It's not one or the other. Let's and let's look at some numbers too, Vince, from other teams that have had really dominant wide receiving cores. In 2019, LSU had a dominant receiving core. Their tight end still caught 60 balls that year. 
You had four. You had forty-seven for Thaddeus Moss. Moss. You had twelve for Stephen Sullivan. That's fifty-nine. And then you had this kid down here, Jamal Pettigrew, who caught a pass. So that's sixty catches. Right. So now again, LSU threw the ball a lot more than Notre Dame's going to throw the ball. I, I get all that. They threw five hundred sixty-seven times. So again, happy medium, forty-five to fifty, as opposed to sixty. Right. 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 You look at Alabama in two thousand and twenty, and they they played thirteen games, even though they won a title because right. of the COVID year. Their starting tight end had 18 catches. Their number two tight end had 23 catches. And another tight end had a catch. So you're looking at 41, 42 passes that year in a shortened season in in which you had a receiver who had 117 catches. One receiver had 117 catches for 1,800-plus yards. Another receiver had 55 catches for 916 yards. And you had a running back on that team that caught the ball 43 times for 425 yards, and you still had over 40 catches from your tight ends. So I, I, I understand where you're going with this, but there's got to be a happy medium for me. Right, you don't go exactly. from 76 to 30 right. in your offense is balanced. I, right. I just, I, now you're becoming too dependent. You're putting too much on Tobias right. Merriweather, too much on Jaden Thomas, too much on Deion Colsey and guys like that to me. Um, now, we're, we could get in a situation where maybe early in the year the tight ends catch a lot more of the volume, and then later in the year the, tight, the, the receivers even catch a higher percentage. And then so the overall numbers are like 45 but it was a lot more early, not as much later. But you're just going to come out and complete two to three balls a game to your tight ends right out of the gate. I, I you know, I, I think I'd have a hard time thinking that this offense is going to reach its full potential if you're doing that. I, I would, Vince. I really would. Agreed. Irish Shy Town. IB, do you expect Estime to get feature back touches this season, or are we going to see more? Halfback by committee. I think my answer to both of those is yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Estime is going to get more feature touches, but I also don't think they're going to be they're going to make him a twenty plus touch per game guy. Like there will be games when he does that. But I've said this before. I don't know that Audric Estime. He may look like it, but he's a guy that for whatever reason just seems to. Maybe he's too tightly wound physically. Maybe he's too tightly wound. Like he's he he. He gets too – sometimes, Vince, you see the guys that are really super amped up and they just wear themselves out a little bit. Sure. Because their energy levels just – or emotional levels just like here. Maybe he's that. Maybe his body is such that he just can't go – like I don't think you're going to see Audric Estime be on a series where they run the ball 10 straight times and just keep giving him the ball. I, I think he's going to tap out after four or five carries in, in that situation. And you're going to have to rotate. So it's going to be a little bit of both. I expect him to be – He's going to be the starter. To, yeah. An average about 18 to 20 touches per game. I said earlier sure. 20, he won't be a 20 touch game. I meant 20 carries. He won't be a 20 carry per game game guy. But you know, 15 to 18 carries and and three to five checkdowns is a good day's work. And then there's going to be other games where it's like 10 to 12 carries and sure. three to five catches because you're whooping somebody pretty good. Right. So it's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Uh, you know, but at what the end I of the day, if, once you compare carries, I mean, I would say that he is going to be clearly the guy that gets the most He'll carries. Be the guy. Yes, which means yes. to me yes. that he is the featured back. Yeah, because like right. he's he he will be their featured back. But you look last year, like uh, when you look at Michigan uh, or excuse me, uh, Illinois, and Chase Brown last year for Illinois averaged twenty seven point three carries per game. I, I don't see that. You know, Blake Corum last year for Michigan averaged 20.6 carries per game. Quinshawn Juckins averaged 21 carries a game. I don't see that. 
You know, I, I think at, at most he's kind of like a Zach Charbonnet, 19 and a half. I just – I don't see him averaging 20 carries because I think there's sure. going to be some games where he gets to 20-plus. But the, the the other factor too, Vince, is, is if your other running backs are healthy, there's just no need for him exactly. to get 20 carries every single game. I want a fresh Audrey right. Estime for yes. the playoff or for I the home stretch I want him to be able to whatever. carry 25 – great – I'm sorry, Vince, I didn't mean to cut you off. Man. Yeah. Please say that again because I, I talked over you for half your sentence. Can you repeat what you just said again? So I want a fresh Audric Estime running dudes over, whether it's the playoff, whether it's a bowl game, whether it's the, the stretch run at the end of the season. Like, that's when I want Audric Estime right. to be a dude, like just hammering guys, right? I mean, yep. so taking some stuff off of his plate early on and in some of these games where you've got the game in control and, you know, all of those different things, that's what you want because you want a healthy Audric Estime, man, because he's a weapon. He is a weapon that late in the game, you don't want to have to tackle that guy. You know what I mean? If you're trying to put a game away, you really want to see seven coming down the barrel at you. Like that's not what I would want personally. And so if Notre Dame wants to be successful for an entire season, you have to manage his carries because he's got to be a hundred percent. Well, He's a running back. You, you They're want never going to be 100 percent at the end of the correct. season. You want but him fresh. Want him as fresh I would as you can possibly. Much rather have him fresh for USC and Clemson late in the year than to yes. say, "Hey, he had 25 carries for 150 yards against Central Michigan, right? Or 250 yards against Central. Michigan. Why? Yeah, exactly. stop him at stop Why? him at 12 for 140. You know what right. I mean? If he's doing that, right? Exactly. Because I want him fr- Because I want him to be able to carry it 25 times against Ohio State if you need him to. Yep. I want him to carry it 25 times against USC if you need him to or NC or, or Clemson, or as you said, Vince, you get into the postseason. Absolutely. But it's more so for me that Clemson, for USC, sure. because you're going to get that month off between right. the last game right, and the right, right. Right. game. And so when you reset it, you clarified like it's not just the postseason, but it's also the, like, the home stretch or the yes. big games or yes. however you want to define yes. it when yes. you need him to be him. That's right. when you know. That's when you because want to the way the schedule sets up, they're they got two buys late. Yeah. So like when Notre Dame kicks off against Navy, Vince, I think they're like eight games before they get a they get a buy. I think right. Yeah. Because the first game is after USC. They're going to be uh, done with half their schedule before the calendar turns to, to uh, yeah. October. Almost. Yeah. They're going to be in game five. Right. No. Game six. No. Dukes on September thirty. They have yeah. half their schedule done. Yeah. By the time it gets yeah, to October so first, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games before they get to a buy. Yeah. Then they have so basically they have zero buys in the first eight weeks. Then they have two buys in the last six weeks. Correct. If you can have him somewhat fresh coming out of USC, he's going to be really fresh against Clemson. Yeah. Now again, that doesn't mean you limit him to twelve carries against Ohio State because you're trying to save him for Clemson. No, 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 no. no, no you no. limit him against Tennessee State and Central Michigan to keep him fresh for Ohio State. Correct. Here's the other part: if they're healthy, this isn't all. This also isn't just about resting Audric. This is about I need to get the ball in Jadarian Price's hands. Yeah. At least five to seven times a game. Jabron Payne is a guy that needs to play because they're good football players. And from a preparation standpoint, last year with Notre Dame, because of the way they used Chris Tyree, you literally had to prepare for no diversity at running back. None. Late Correct. Year. It was, we got to stop duo. Now, some people could do it. Some people couldn't. The teams that tried to do it with their base defense, like Clemson, Syracuse, couldn't, couldn't do it. Do it. Yeah. The only teams that could do it, like Navy, st- slow down the run. USC did because they just said we're going to bring more guys than you can block and make right. you make make Drew Pine beat us. 
Right. Right. And he barely did one and couldn't the other. And that's not a Drew Pine thing. That's what you got to take something away. Correct. You, you got to try to make some team beat that's you always another what, part of their offense. That's, that's just what you do as a defensive coordinator. Has, right. When the other team has way more talent, that's what you do. And so they, yep. they that's that's just kind of how they, they they did it. So when you look at it, Vince, it's like this year, however, you, yes, Jadarian Price can do run duo and inside zone, but there's going to be other things you want to do to get him the ball that's a little different than Audric. You know, maybe you're just duoing and 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 off tackle with Audric, and then you bring Jabron Payne and you let him hit, you know, a buck sweep or you let him hit a counter where he's just got that little quickness in that read. And Jadarian, mm-hmm. you're just like, we're running stretch. We're going to toss him the ball. Now, all of a sudden, you're a team like, good God, there's like eight different run concepts we have to prepare for. Exactly. And Audric can run all of them, but you're going to emphasize them there. So you say, well, we know what's coming. Yeah, you may know what's coming, but you have to have scheme prepared to stop all eight of those different concepts, right? Or seven or whatever the case, six or whatever sure. the case may be. But it's like when you're getting hammered with that, you know, so 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 with one guy, you got to chase him left and right. With the other guy, you got to he's going to run it down your throat. That that can wear on a defense. Heck yeah, it, it really can. can wear on a defense. And then you go 21 personnel and you can do any of it, any all of the above. And then the next series, whatever. we, we just went 12 personnel and literally ran, yeah. a, a, did a 10 play drive. We ran the ball eight times. And then the next series, we're going to come out and go 10 and throw it on you. Right. Like, that's where you need to be, you know, Correct. where or 11 and throw it on you. And that's where I want Notre Dame to be this year. I, I do. Yeah. So yep. we'll, we'll see no if they get there or not. But the, the point being that Audric, Audric will be their number one back as long as he's healthy. It just may not look the same way it did for Muhammad Ibrahim and Chase Brown and you know guys like that that are averaging 25-plus touches a game. Like like Chase Brown last year, this was his carries, starting with Indiana on to Northwestern when he, I think, got dinged up. 36, 20, 20, 25, 31, 41, 32, 33, 23, 29, 19. I do not want Audric Estimate touching New the ball that many sir. times. sir. No way. There's no need for it. They right. had to at Illinois. That's all they right. had on offense was Chase Brown. Notre Dame doesn't have that. They don't. Illinois. There's a big drop off between RB one and RB two at Illinois last year. There's a drop off here, but it's not that great if everybody's healthy. And you take advantage of that, in my opinion. And that's what I expect Notre Dame to do this season. Sure. Andre has a question. What is a traditional tight end now compared to ten years ago? Is there such a thing as true? pass catching tight end and or a blocking tight end that can catch you you kind of so to answer your question andre the answer is a traditional tight end today is a tight end from 10 years ago if that makes sense right like it's it's a throwback it's more of that like he said vince it's that it's that guy that can line up and block on the edge there's there's old school tight ends that are the guys that just line they were just they were like glorified tackles they just line up and block that's not what i'm referring to i'm talking about like you know, the 1980s, the 1990s tight ends, the guys that were before Shannon Sharp really took over, the guys that were like, they would line up attached and they could block their butts off, but they were also weapons in the pass game. You know, you think of the, the red, what the Redskins used to have, you know, Clint Didier and those kind of guys where they were, they were true tight ends, but they were in that they could block, but they were also weapons in the pass game, but they were short game, intermediate game, occasionally stretch the ball down the field. So that's the style of play where even though Shannon Sharp played in the 90s, he was a modern day tight end. He was ahead of his time, in my opinion. But uh, that's what I mean by that in the difference between traditional tight end and uh, now. Modern yeah. tight end now is like you're playing W, you're playing in the slot, you're moving out wide. You're, they're more you're, multiple. You're, you're, more, you know, you're Brock Bowers. Right. Michael Mayer was a traditional tight end. Yep. He can move all around, but he was a big physical lineup right. and you're going to be used a certain way where Brock Bowers is more of a 
you know, that use the word modern tight end. Sure. And they're both effective, but a lot of teams are, you know, depending on the offense, you're looking for that other type of guy. You want the modern guy in your offense. Yeah. I want more, more, well, sort of, I I want a modern guy, but I don't necessarily want Brock Bowers. I want a tight end that can block. Okay. He doesn't have to be a great blocker, but he has to be able to block. And I don't think Brock Bowers is much of a blocker. And he may become, he was only a sophomore last year. Like the dude's got time. I mean, he, Michael Mayer wasn't a great blocker as a sophomore either. Right. Uh, you know, Tyler Eifert, I could line him up and he could block a nine technique. He wasn't going to dominate, but he could do it. I could run outside zone to his side. You know what I'm sure. saying? But with the way that I run the game, I mean, he's, he's as a blocker, he's my backside blocker. I'm an inside zone counter. I mean, he, he's a movement guy. He's blocking, you know, split zone. He's blocking the backside. He's just got, just do, just get in backside of that nine technique or just get inside that seven technique and get in his way. That's what I really needed him to do. I don't need him to be an old school. We're running like, it, it, back in the day when you're running power O, your tight end had to be a great blocker. He was either going to down block up to a linebacker. He was going to kick out the, the the nine technique, depending on how you blocked your power O. If you had a fullback, then you have the fullback kind of kicking that out and you could bring your tight end open. Other teams would run power O where the tight end would block the nine technique and the fullback was your lead blocker. It just depends on how you want to do it. Sure. Either way, you, you, had, you needed a butt kicker at tight end mm-hmm. to do that. Yep. And that's more of a traditional guy. Yep. I don't need that in my offense sure but i but i like a tight end that can line up all over the field and be a legitimate pass game weapon and that can hold his own in the run game right you know and and tyler can hold his own he just is but if you wanted to run power football like notre dame did in 2012 you had to put troy nicholas in the game i mean just right and that's okay troy nicholas is a traditional tight end he is an old school tight end he is a 30 catch 15 yards per catch kind of guy um and so I, i hope that answers your question andre PK, do you see a scenario where H can up-tempo a series or two? For example, score on Ohio State, get a three and out, and then go hurry up. I think this is uh, – this guy's asked this question a bunch. He really keeps asking about, like, hurry up in two minutes. Yes, Notre Dame will run – will change tempos this year. I promise you. Uh, can they do that? Of course. That's Sam, something Sam Hartman has done a ton. And then there was a discussion in the chat about, like, running – you can go up tempo and not run your quarterback. You don't have to have a mobile oh, for sure. running. Now, Sam Hartman can run, and there are times when I would use his runner, legs yeah. as an, as to my advantage. But it, it for him, it's like, dude, if, if you're running inside zone and, and they just completely vacate the backside, pull that sucker and run, get as much as you can, and then slide or step slide. out of bounds. Yeah, right. Like, there's not run. You know, there's not Brandon Wimbush or Jack Cohn, and then there's no variation. There, you know, there's. I don't want to be an Ian Book either, where he's, or Deshaun Kaiser either. I don't want him. I just don't want to take that many hits. But he can certainly, you know, th- they drop eight. He takes off running. Get what you can get and slide. You know, sure. I don't need you to run a guy over and get to the sticks. You know what I mean? Like I don't want you going down. Right. But there's no reason not to use his athleticism to move the chains and, you know, if, if they're just going to crash the backside of the run game, I'm pulling that sucker and I'm just saying, hey Sam, go get the easiest ten yards you've ever gotten in your life exactly you know and there's nothing wrong with that and he's not taking really taking a hit now he's got to make the right decisions but if you're about to get hit man go down right but yes you'll see some tempo stuff you'll see notre dame mix up the tempo this year how much will they do hurry up i don't know Uh, but yeah they'll mix it up and they can certainly do that against ohio state you the the thing is you've also got to be mindful of where your defense is sure and so in your scenario right here i don't know if you know, how state goes three and out. Do you quickly go tempo and then get your defense right back on the field? Maybe, 
but there's got to be some communication. And this is where Marcus Freeman's going to play a big role. You may have gone three and out because their quarterback missed a read. You blew a coverage. He didn't see it. I need some time to, with my defense so we can figure out what the heck happened because we got lucky on that series. We need to talk it out. You may say to Coach, hey, Coach, we, we – we, we, we had two blown assignments on that last series, and Ohio State didn't take advantage of it. You do that again the next series, I promise you they'll take advantage of it. Sure. Right? Because the Ohio State coaches are going to be up there, hey, we had Mar- we had uh, a Mecca backside. You know, uh, the quarterback was locked in on Marvin. They had him double covered, but they had a blown coverage backside, and Kate Stover was wide open up the seam. Let's go back to that. You need to make sure you address that and fix that, even if they didn't hit it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I want to see uh, with them, Vince. When you when you look at um, when you look at it, so th- th- that would require the head coach to say, "Hey, Jared, normal offense, right, right." Or Jared say, "Hey, coach, I want to push the tempo this next series." Then it's up to Coach Freeman to say, "Yeah, let's do it," because he's able to monitor the defense, be on the phone with the defensive coaches sure. and stuff like that, and let them know, "Hey, guys, look, we're going to go quick this series. We're going to take a shot. Be ready." So like you know, hey, we're going to take a shot on this first play, coach. And he and Marcus Freeman's listening to all that. He's not listening okay, but he's listening to that. He then knows to click the thing over because that's the great thing about being the head coach, right? Is you can click. You both listen to. He said, "Hey guys, listen, we're going to take a shot right here. So just have your defense ready. If this play hits, you you got you know your guys are going to be back out there again." Um, now again, there's an extra point and all that and kickoff and TV break, but you know, hey, we got to. Sure. We get what we need to get out now and talk about what the importance of now because we may be out there quicker. And then if it's an incomplete pass, okay, now let's get back to this. Or, hey, they're going to go right. tempo, so you got to be real precise with the stuff you're talking through with your defense. That's all part of stuff that we don't talk enough about as, as fans and analysts that, that goes into whether or not you can or can't push the tempo. And that's a big reason why teams that, that push the tempo by nature don't have very good defenses. Yep. Because like we don't have a lot of time to 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 make correction and adjustments and to talk and and what were they doing? And they're oh, on the field a lot. Just scored again, yeah. yeah. And they're not only on the field a lot, but there's not as much time in between series sure. to communicate and talk. What did you see? What can we adjust? Right. Like now, it's like we have just enough time for our guys to tell us what they saw, and then we don't have a lot of time to, as a staff to say. Because what you do is you say you're talking through it. This is what we saw. This is what we saw, and then okay. Hang out here, then you guys get on the phones. Like, okay, what do we? What do we, you know? This is what they did. Right. So they saw this. Just it's a process. But if you're playing, if your team's got a really fast offense, you're you may only get the what they saw, and then your D coordinator's got to kind of on the fly sure. make adjustments with his calls. Where in a more traditional setting, you guys can talk as a staff, then go back and say, okay, guys, listen, the next time they do this, this is how we need to handle that. This is the adjustment. This is the, this is what happened. And the less time you have to handle that, the the more effect, the less effective you're going to be which is partly why teams that Mm – I mean, there's practice reasons why. But in-game, that's a reason why defensively – because you're ever like, why are these teams that play uh, part of air raid offense, they're constantly blowing coverages. You just don't have a lot of time to to talk about that. You don't have a lot of time. So this offense is scheming all this other stuff, and you guys don't have a lot of time to to deal with the adjustments, and this they're doing throwing this at us. And we've got about two and a half minutes to figure all this out and get back (laughs) out there. Because right. our offense is going to go tempo again, and oh, they just scored another sixty-yard touchdown. Crap! You know we, we got to get back out there. It's a challenge because then half your because half your you say well you you got special half your defense is on the starting kick return team or on the right. starting kickoff team or whatever right. the case may be starting kickoff team, right? So it's like well okay we're making adjustments, but my two starting linebackers are out there on kickoff team and my starting safety is out on kickoff team. So 
hey guys, let them know when you get out there that we made this adjustment. Yeah, exactly. And then you know? things get lost in translation. And then, I mean, that, and that's all part of being a head coach too. It's being able to manage both sides of that. And something that I'm sure Marcus Freeman is working towards, because I guarantee you that's like drinking through a fire hose when you are a head coach in your first year. And so this is something that he's going to be able to kind of dive into a little bit more, have a little bit more control over how things are going and the tempo and all of that stuff. Right. And so, yeah, you're right. It's not something that we talk about very often, but it's definitely something that people need to understand and how that works. It's not just, okay, we're going to go tempo here. Let's go. Like there's just so much more to the conversation than that. Right. Broke neck boy. Who would win? The worst Notre Dame team you've seen versus the worst USC team you've seen and the best for both as well. Back from BMT. The the worst USC team that I've ever seen is not as bad as the the 2007 Notre Dame team. (laughs) That was one of the worst power five teams I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they were like Northwestern 2022 bad. Right. I mean, they were bad. So, I mean, the two two of the three wins they had, Vince, were over a team that went three and nine and a team that won an 11. Right. I mean, they they were they were bad. I've never seen USC have a team that bad. Even the team from a couple years ago that went like four and eight. Right. Clay Helton's last team. I mean, that team still had a lot of talent. It just. They were just coached really poorly. They, they would have yeah, been able to out. They would have been able to out talent Notre Dame. They had individual so, talent because yeah. USC always has individual talent. They're in Southern yeah. California. Like they're they're going to accidentally get talent. Like that's right. Not usually a USC problem. It's yeah. how that talent is coached. Who would win against the best teams? That's a good question because it's hard to it's hard to say because it. What's difficult about a question like this, and it's fun to ask it. But the reality is, is the way the game was played in 1980 and 80, 89 is different than it was played in 04 and 05 when USC had those great teams. Like, best USC team I've ever seen is probably that 04 team. Would you agree with that, Vince? A 2004 yeah. USC team that, that yeah. won the title that, um, that I think that was good. the year that they, they blew out Oklahoma in the bowl game, I believe. I'm looking at that now. Yeah, they beat Oklahoma 55 to 19 in a bowl <sighs> game. Uh, that team was really so that year they beat beat BYU 42 to 10 beat number 7 Cal by 6 beat number 15 Arizona State by 38 beat Washington by 38 beat Washington State by 40 won on the road at at Oregon State by 8 beat Arizona by 40 beat Notre Dame by 31 uh they went on the beat the, beat USC in the Rose Bowl in a competitive game and then they just destroyed Oklahoma State oh and they beat a, a pretty good Virginia Tech team at the beginning of the year as well by 11 in Maryland. So yeah, that was a, that Virginia tech team, they beat by 11 that year went on to be 10 and three Hmm. and ranked 10th. So, and one of their losses was to number three, Auburn. You remember that Jason Campbell Auburn team that went, uh, went undefeated. Yeah. One of Virginia tech's Virginia tech's three losses that year were to national champion USC number three, Auburn by three points. And then they lost early to NC state by a point. That wasn't a very good NC State team, but like that was a really good Virginia Tech team. So that U04 USC team was was phenomenal. Would they have been able to beat the 89 Notre Dame team? I mean, Notre Dame would have not been able to play the defense they play, and USC wouldn't have been able to do some sure. things they see because the game had changed so much. You know, right. Notre Dame would have played a 5-2 against that USC team. They would have right. played differently. 
But the thing about Notre Dame is they had the athletes in the secondary that they could have matched up. I mean, Todd Light, athletically in his prime, could match up against anybody USC had. You know, they had Pat Terrell, who spent a decade in the NFL, was a second-round draft pick. You know, Stance Magala was probably the fastest DB they had. I mean, they had NFL guys all over the place. You know, uh, it's just it was such a different game. So I don't know who would have won, but I, I would say this. I believe that the the 88 and 89 Notre Dame teams were every bit as dominant, if not more so, than that 04 USC team was. Right? That's just my that's my opinion. There you go. By uh, is it by a lot? No, it's not by a lot. You know, but like that that um, that especially the '89 Notre Dame team, Vince. That was such a like. Well, they were loaded with talent. Oh my I mean, gosh! I mean, the no only reason they didn't, that. yeah, the only reason they didn't win at all was because they had to play the national champs on the road, and they were getting payback. But I mean, they beat they beat a Virginia team that year in the first game of the year, thirty six to thirteen. It was not that close. That Virginia team finished ten and three. They beat number two Michigan that year on the road. If you remember Rocket, uh, Michigan that year went 10 and two. Michigan's only losses were to Notre Dame and USC. They lost USC by a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. Notre Dame beat USC that year as well. That USC team was pretty good as well. They finished ranked eighth in the polls. But Notre Dame that year beat number seven Pittsburgh 45 to seven. They beat number 17 Penn State on the road, 34 to 23. And then they beat number one Colorado in the bowl game by 15. It was an undefeated Colorado team that they beat in the Orange Bowl by 15. So, I mean, they were a really good football team. Penn State that year finished 15th. So, so that year, let me let me just let me just look this up real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this is the the rankings of the teams that Notre Dame beat that year, the final season rankings of who they beat that year. And, and let me just get to this. I'm going to pull all these up. So Notre Dame that year beat – this is end of season rankings. They beat number 18 Virginia by 23, and it wasn't that close. They could have It could have been way worse. It was like 23 or something like that, nothing at halftime. They beat number seven Michigan on the road by five. They beat number 16 Michigan State by eight. They beat, they knocked out, Air Force was ranked 17th at the time. Notre Dame beat them by 14 at their place. Air Force finished unranked, but 8 4 and 1. They beat number 8 USC, 28 to 24. They beat number 17 Pittsburgh, just end of season ranking, 45 to 7. Miami only beat them by 21. And then uh, their other games that year, they lost to Notre Dame by 38, Miami the next week or two weeks later by 21, and then they lost to Penn State by three, a Penn State team that Notre, that finished 15th, that Notre Dame went on the road and beat by 11, and then they beat number four Colorado by 15. Like that was a dominant Notre Dame team. Dominant Notre Dame team. So I would have that would have been a great matchup. Yeah. But to compare them – Directly, it like different logistically, eras, it's man. just different. It's different like, eras. yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they were both great teams. That was a great USC team. Like that 04 USC team is one of those ones you're like, yeah, I would love to seen. Like, here would have been a better matchup to discuss. I would have loved to have seen 04 USC against 22,000 Miami. That would have been a game I would have liked to have seen, right? Because that's more in the same era. Sure. It's like saying, I would love to have seen 19. Uh, LSU against 18 Clemson, right? Or, you know, something like – it's just more in line with each other. 13 Florida State or something like that, right? It's the same era, same game, 
you know, you can, you can do those hypothetical matchups. I, I can't compare what Notre Dame was in 1988 to modern times. Cause they probably wouldn't be running the same offense, but the talent would still be elite. They'd just be exactly. doing something a little bit different. They'd like, if Lou Holtz was coaching today, my guess would be he'd be running stuff like what Stanford was running under Harbaugh from like 08 to, and David Shaw from like 08 to 12 and 13. And they'd be doing exactly what Stanford did, but with way better players. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? that That's kind of what I think they would be. So just a different game, but yeah, I mean that that Notre Dame team was in '89 was even more dominant than the '88 team was. I mean, they really were. It's just the '88 team won all their games, and the '89 right. team lost once to the national champs. Right. Well, in today's era, Notre Dame would have got a rematch against that '89. Exactly, team. they would have had another. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that. There's no sure. doubt because they would have been um, Notre Dame definitely would have been in the final in the final uh, in the playoff that year because they they were number four going into the Orange Bowl. So uh, Notre Dame was number four, and I'm trying to remember who the three was. It might have been Florida State. Let me see who was the three going into the, the bowl game that year. Let me see what Florida State's ranking was going to that game. No, they were five. Was it Michigan? I wonder, Maybe it was. might have been Michigan. Michigan might have been the number four or number three, and then the, when they got beat by USC, they dropped. What was? Yeah, Michigan was three. So the playoff that year, based on the rankings, would have been um, – a rematch in, in in the first semifinal of Notre Dame and Miami in the semifinals. So you'd have given a month. Because remember, Lou Holtz was basically unbeatable in the postseason. I mean, mm-hmm. the only time they lost was a, a not great 1990 team to Colorado, the national champion Colorado team in a game Notre Dame should have won that game. I mean, I, I still say that was not a block in the back. It should just should not have been called. And that was, I think, the only bowl game that I remember Lou Holtz losing in that era when they were really good. I mean, let's see, Colorado that year was number one and, you know, won the national championship that year. They had just beaten Kansas State by 61. They beat number three, Nebraska, on the road by 15. They beat Notre Dame by one. And that was a three-loss Notre Dame team. You know what I mean? So, like, Lou Holtz in a bowl game, you you didn't want that smoke. So if you'd have given Lou Holtz a month to prepare for that 89 team with the rematch of we want payback, come on, man. Yeah. You know, then you'd have had in the uh, the other semifinal game, you'd have had Michigan, you'd have had uh, uh, Michigan would have played Colorado and the and the other. Oh, hold on a second. Let me look. See, who who did I say the other team? It was Notre Dame, Miami, um, Michigan. And who was the who was the, you never so, said the fourth one. You Miami said was number one going into it. Right. Notre Dame was number four. Uh, Michigan was three. Would it have been Nebraska? No, it wouldn't have been Nebraska. Colorado? What, what was Colorado in 89? I'm trying to find Colorado. in, in 18. I don't know if it was Colorado or not. I'm trying to find it. Because we're talking about – yeah, it would have been – well, no, Colorado was one. No, Colorado was one. Miami was two. That's what it was. Okay. So Notre Dame would have still played – okay, I got it right. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. So Miami was two. So it would have been Miami and Michigan in the semifinal, and it would have been Notre Dame and Colorado. And so and we know that Notre Dame beat Colorado already. Convincingly. So. Convincingly. And so I would imagine Miami would have beat Michigan. Like, right? Sure. So you'd have had that's where you'd have the rematch then. And like you said, we knew that Notre Dame beat beat Colorado. They already did it. Sure. So yeah, I would have liked that rematch. I would have liked that rematch a lot. That'd have been great. A lot, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So yeah. Anyway, fun stuff. Here we go. Irish Gordian, not Notre Dame 
okay. Are you guys keeping your bold predictions so you can go over them when the season is over? Could also reevaluate them at the mid season point. I usually don't. I mean, they're meant to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll, I'll have, I'll actually have actual season predictions we'll do before the season right. starts that I, right. I would look back at more. The bold predictions are meant to be fun. If if Notre Dame reaches half their bold predictions for this year, they're going to be freaking unreal. I mean, that's exactly. the whole point of it being a bold prediction. It's meant to be a little bit of fun. Right. So I don't track them. We just kind of have some fun with it. You can. I mean, you guys can. And we, you know, bring them up later in the year. Ask us about them. That's, that's, and we can fun. laugh about them or we can yeah. be like, yeah, see, told you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that because it's like, dude, they're bold. We, the whole for thing reason. we say is they're bold. Yeah, right. Exactly. If we get them right, it just means that Notre Dame's really good. Andre Neely wants to know, are we a nickel-based defense? Depends on the week. There will yeah. be times this year where they will be, Andre, yeah. Like, there there are going to be games where you're going to see Notre Dame be more balanced and, you know, some nickel, some base. NC State, most likely, a lot of nickel. Ohio State, you're going to need to mix it up because the way Ohio State if, – if Ohio State's running the ball like they're capable of – you could get in trouble if you just go you base just all the time. Nickel. Yeah, yeah. It just you'd have to you have to be careful about the matchups and sure because you know, what Ohio State's going to try to do is say, hey, if we can get you into your base defense with a third linebacker on the field, then what we're going to do is and we're going to then say and we're going to put Marvin Harrison into the slot, which they will do at times, and say mm-hmm. we're going to get him matched up against your linebacker and safety. Right. And then what does Notre Dame do to match that? You know, what right. I mean, that, those are th- that's part of the chess match. That's the chess match. You, you got to be careful, right? Yep. And but then like USC, you're going to be in nickel a lot. You know, Clemson, you're going to be probably a little bit more balanced, but spend yeah. a decent amount of time in nickel. Pitt, you're going to be a base. You're in your base defense a lot more. Uh, there, you know, uh, Central Michigan, you're going to be in your base defense a lot more. Tennessee State, you're going to be in your base defense a lot more. Uh, Duke, you're going to be in a base. You can be in a base defense a little bit more because a lot of their stuff throwing the balls like you know quick game and things like that. Louisville, right. you know, we'll see what Louisville's personnel looks like this year, but. Uh, it just it's going to depend it's really going to depend on the week andre and the in the matchup that notre dame feels that they they that works best for them but sure there will be some and the other part too is what is thomas how good is thomas harper right that's the other part if thomas yeah. harper's balling then yeah you're going to see them be nickel a lot more in those games but if if they're not then you're going to say hey look we're going to stand our base base defense but we're just going to trigger the linebackers and just pressure with the linebackers a lot more and just play more man and just take our chances with our blitz package because you know, we can't because the other thing is if you just can't match up with the team's athletes, then you just say, Well, then we're just gonna try to make sure their quarterback doesn't have the time to get the ball out. You know, and that's that's what you hope to do. And then just rally to the ball and tackle guys and the right. force some right. incompletions or turnovers is really what it comes down to. Good question. 